Welcome to Lansdowne Alliance Church. We're glad that you are here. Uh, we're going to be continuing in our series in the book of Acts today, looking at chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. And I've titled this message today, The Difference You Can Make. So we know that everyone has a story to tell about their encounter when they came to know Christ. You know, um, and the beauty of this is that every story is different. They're unique. They're special. They're between you and God. And well, kind of because we're supposed to tell others about our encounter with Christ in hopes that they will have an encounter as well. These moments are usually commonly known as testimonies, a phrase you've probably heard a, a, a few share of times. And the text where we find ourselves this morning is not long after Stephen was killed. And if you recall, a certain someone who we are going to be discussing this morning was holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. See, there were many Christians who were fleeing Jerusalem because right after Right after Stephen's death, persecution, it was on the rise. They were seeking safety and refuge in other cities and countries that were surrounding the area. But as we are going to find out this morning, the man named Saul was on the hunt for them and was even willing to go 150 plus miles to Damascus in Syria to bring the Christians back to Jerusalem in chains to be tortured, to be killed, to be beaten, and just about anything else that you can imagine. But I'm going to go ahead and drop a spoiler alert first. God had other plans. So Acts chapter 9, thank you. Thank you for the reaction. Thank you. <laughs> Always work on those reactions. So Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. Bible says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, as I would imagine they would. For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas when you get there, ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, 
I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning that we have had already and the, just the beautiful worship that we had this morning. Um, Father, we thank you that your promises are indeed yes and amen. And Father, as another song we sang, so we don't have much, but we have a heart that beats for you. We have a life we'll give to you. Father, as we dig into your word this morning and hear about Saul and hear about Ananias, that we may be challenged from it, and that we would take something from this place today and take it to someone who needs to hear it. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so here we got Saul. He's traveling to the town of Damascus. And I can only imagine some, some thoughts that are going through this guy's head. He's going to hunt down some people and bring them back. It literally says in the text, he wants to bring them back to Jerusalem in chains, men, women, to persecute them. He is on this relentless pursuit. If you ever think of what it means to be on a relentless pursuit of something. Um, for me, that would be in our house when my children lose the TV remote. We're on a relentless pursuit to find that TV remote. If you can't tell, this happens on a daily basis. But think about when you're on a relentless pursuit of something. And now think about Saul here. He is on a relentless pursuit to find Christians to kill them. He is eager, the text says, eager to kill the Lord's followers. Saul, he was so overly zealous for his Jewish beliefs that he went on this mission, which could be called a persecution campaign, if you want to call it that, against any person that followed Jesus, that was telling others about Jesus, that was just speaking his name. And if you think about it, the reasons were, were many as to why the Jews in Jerusalem you know, and, and, and really for Saul, this person who was their representative, what a thing to be a representative of, to persecute these Christians, you know, um, you can think of maybe they wanted to seize the Christians who had fled Jerusalem after Stephen was stoned. Um, maybe they wanted to put a complete and total stop to the spread of Christianity so that it wouldn't reach to the other cities. This, this idea of them not wanting the Christian message, or as the Jews saw it, Christians causing trouble, to reach Rome because they definitely feared that. They did not want news of Christ to reach Rome. It's reasonable to think as well that they wanted to advance Saul. They wanted to advance his career. They wanted to give him a boost. They wanted to put him up high, and they wanted to give him this reputation of a real Pharisee. 
or even maybe they wanted to unify the factions of Judaism by giving them a common enemy. There's lots of reasons. There's different options. There's lots of different possibilities here. It might be a combination of all of them. So again, we're in Damascus. This Damascus is a key commercial city. It's, it's, you have to very interestingly pay attention to where we're reading from this morning. Damascus is, about, again, about 150 miles northeast of Jerusalem in Syria, which was a Roman-occupied province. And Damascus, it was a trading hub. Trade happened there. There were numerous trade routes that were linked through Damascus to other series, uh, other cities. Excuse me. So if you really think about it, Damascus, it's, it's kind of like the, the epicenter, if you will. That it's, everything's kind of going out of Damascus. So if you're going to go and stop something, Damascus is kind of the place to go and stop it before it goes to literally everywhere. So Damascus, other, these other cities that were throughout the Roman world, I mean, it's a reasonable target for Saul. If, again, if you're going to get rid of Christianity, there's your spot. All these trade routes, all of these things going on. So again, listen to verses 3 through 5 from our text. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. What an incredible encounter. What an experience. I mean, this is huge. Saul, or soon to be known as Paul, he refers to this encounter or this experience as the starting line. The beginning of his new life with Christ, his Christian life. And he actually does it three times later on in the New Testament. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 9.1. Am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? Later on, 1 Corinthians 15.8. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. And Galatians 1.15 and 16. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. So here we are, this encounter. Who was at the center of it all? Who should be at the center of every single conversion encounter? Jesus, Jesus Christ himself. Paul didn't see a vision. He saw the actual risen Christ. It said in verse 17, So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul acknowledged Jesus as Lord. He confessed his own sins. He surrendered his life to him. He agreed to obey Jesus. That is where true conversion begins. 
It comes from a personal encounter with Jesus and then leads into a new relationship with him. See, that is, that is critical. I've encountered so many people over the years that say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And it's you're trying not as much as you can to not think in that judgmental mindset, but you're just like, the way you live your life just does not add up to someone who says, that they believe in Jesus. When you tell someone, he actually, here's the reality of it. You should not have to tell someone that you believe in Jesus because the way that you live your life should show that. The way that you conduct yourselves, your speech, your actions, all of that, that should speak louder than your words. I know we've all heard that phrase, actions speak louder than words forever. But it's so true here. The way that you live your life should be a representation of what you believe, of who you believe in. If you really think and consider what our text said, Paul seriously thought that he was pursuing heretics. But what he was really doing was persecuting Jesus Christ himself. Because, if you recall, the book of Matthew says that anyone who persecutes believers today is guilty of persecuting Jesus, because we are. As the believers of Jesus, we are the body of Christ on earth. Now, as we navigate, continue to navigate through these verses, we become introduced to Ananias. And boy, does he play a big role in all of this. Verses 13 through 17. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias... I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul, laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Moment of honesty here. Honesty in church. Here we go. Have you ever come across someone in your life where you thought there is no way that person is ever going to be a Christian? Uh-huh. It's an honest thought, but we've all done it. We've all looked at someone and said, there is no way. There is absolutely no way. I mean, that's more or less what Ananias is saying right here. He is more, I mean, that, he's like, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done. Like, if I'm, I'm, I'm sure the phrase was uttered, God, are you sure? <laughs> are are you sure? I mean, that's basically what he's doing. He, he, and, and what that is, is essentially he is. He is questioning God. God, are you sure? I mean, wouldn't you have loved to be there for that conversation? When Ananias is being told, hey, this guy that uh, wants to kill you, you're going to go give him his sight back, fill him with the Holy Spirit for me. I mean, if you're Ananias, you have watched and you have heard about this man named Saul who per, uh, pursued believers to their deaths. 
But did Ananias refuse what God told him to do? He questioned it, but he didn't refuse. He obeyed God and he ministered to Saul. What Ananias did is something that honestly can be the opposite of many Christians today because Ananias refused to limit God because Ananias knew that God could do anything and that God could save anyone and everyone. If God brings you to someone difficult in a difficult place at a difficult time, it is time to trust in God even that much more because he has brought that person to you for that reason in that place at that time. We must obey God's leading at all times and understand that he has put those people in your path for a specific reason, for a specific purpose. For his purpose. And our specific purpose is to make him known to everyone. So here's our two final verses. Again, so Ananias went and found Saul, laid his hands on him, and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. If you notice something here about our text, the book of Acts does not make a direct mention of a special filling of the Holy Spirit for Saul. However, his changed life, his accomplishments, his witness, his testimony is all the witness he needed to show others how Christ had changed his life forever. And that is something I don't want us to just glaze over here because when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your life is not just changed for a season. It's not just changed for a year. It is changed forever. I mean, Paul's, his actions backed up his words and proved the power of the Holy Spirit that was dwelling in him. It is evident, though, that the Holy Spirit filled him when he received his sight back and was baptized. See, our text clearly says that Ananias went and found Saul, just like he had been instructed to do so. And how did Ananias greet Saul? He didn't say, oh, here we go. Hey, um, Saul, yeah, yeah, don't kill me, please. The text says he said he greeted him as brother Saul. Brother Saul. I'll make this clear this morning. <laughs> I do believe that Ananias was a bit afraid, but he knew that God was with him. I mean, Ananias was a follower of Jesus. And that's ultimately who Paul was after, followers of Jesus. But that did not affect Ananias' obeying of God. In his obedience to the Holy Spirit, Ananias greeted Saul in love. When I was writing these notes and preparing this part, all I kept thinking about was the scene in The Wizard of Oz when the cowardly lion first sees the wizard and just runs away. 
And I'm like, that is so not what Ananias did. But that's what he could have done. That might be in the back of his mind what he wanted to do, but he didn't. He obeyed God. It did not, it being Saul did not affect Ananias' obeying of God. He greeted Saul in love. Now listen, it, it may not always be easy to love those who we might be afraid of or who we might feel uncomfortable around or we might have doubts about them or whatever it might be. But I need to remind you this morning that the word of God says that we are commanded by Jesus to love them. John 13, 34, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. You see, in the New Testament, this verse, to love others, this wasn't some new thing. Because in the Old Testament, you have Leviticus 19:18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But you see, to love others as much as Jesus loved, this was revolutionary. It was mind-blowing. It was ground-shaking. We are to love others based on the sacrificial love that Christ demonstrated to us when he went to the cross. This kind of love, it's not going to lead people to Christ, but it's going to help keep it's going to keep believers in Christ strong and united in a world that is full of hostility and in a world that doesn't want to hear about Jesus. Jesus was the living example of God's love. Just like we as Christians are to be living examples of Jesus' love. You see, love is, is so much more than things that make you feel warm inside. Or things that make you feel good. Or those date night at Cheesecake Factory vibes. Or any, any of that kind of stuff. Love is so much more than just feelings. I'm telling you, I, I joke with the youth all the time. I think love is a word that we throw around way too loosely in our society. You know, when I first started in Baltimore County Public Schools in 2012, 10 years ago, when I was working with the students, I was starting to coach the basketball team. You know, we have the girls' basketball team. We have the boys' basketball team. First practice, I love you. I love him. And by the end of practice, they had a fight and were broken up already. I'm like, see, that's what I'm talking about. You're throwing this word around way too loosely. Because it's more than these feelings. Love is an attitude that reveals itself through action. So how can we love others as Jesus loves us? I'm going to probably hear some groans as I go through this list, but here we go. By helping when it's not convenient. By giving when it hurts. By devoting your energy to others' welfare rather than your own. By absorbing hurt from other people without complaining. By absorbing hurt from others and not fighting back. This is what people will notice. That is why people notice when you do it. And know that you are empowered by something that's supernatural. 
We have this amazing example of Ananias here in the scripture. And look what happened. If you read the rest of the New Testament, everything that involves Paul is because Ananias obeyed. Because he stayed faithful. He stayed obedient. He showed love to Saul. He showed acceptance to Saul. He showed kindness to Saul. Maybe today there is someone in your life that needs you to be their Ananias. Someone that you really don't feel like showing kindness to. Just like God helped Ananias, God will help you. If you ask him through the power of the Holy Spirit to love those who seem unlovable. Now, if you know one thing about, as I usually call him fast, Saul Paul, he suffered for his faith. Boy, did he suffer for his faith. All the time spent in prison. All the time that he was under house arrest. Kind of ironic that how much that relentless pursuit he was on to bring the Christians back to Jerusalem in what? Chains. And how much of his Christian life he would spend in chains. You see, faith in Jesus brings some of the greatest and most wonderful blessings in life. But very often, suffering will come too. It's inevitable. And I don't know where you're at this morning, and I'm sorry that I'm about to burst some bubbles in here, but I'm not going to apologize for it. God is calling you to commitment. He's not calling you to comfort. Because just being very brutally honest here, if you want to be comfortable, if you want to live a cushy, cushy, plushy life, stay away from Jesus. That's the reality of it. God is calling us to commitment, not comfort. Excellent. No one got up and left. You see, when commitment leads to challenge, you can be assured that he is with you through the challenge. He never promised to spare us from the challenge. If you find a verse in the Bible where it says God promised to spare you from the challenge, you might be reading in the book of opinions again. So you might want to stay away from that book. He doesn't promise to spare us from the challenge, but he does promise to be with us through the challenge. When Saul was traveling to Damascus, he was confronted in an incredible way by the risen Christ. And it was the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ that was put right in front of his face. Sometimes God breaks through to people in an incredible way, and in a magnificent way similar to this. And other times, it's much quieter. It's, it's between you and it's between God. It's in your devotion time. It's in your quiet time. Sometimes it's been at a, a, a conference or a concert or a worship night of some sort. It's, but the thing is, again, it is in your way that God revealed himself to you. It's through your own individual pursuit of Christ. If someone is trying to force you to have a specific, particular type of experience to become a Christian, they're not leading you in the right direction. Wouldn't that look a little weird if we all came to know Christ through the same way? 
I have heard every testimony from, from drug dealers and drug addicts. I, you know, I, I've worked a lot of concerts over the years. I'm the, the lead singer of the Christian rock band Seventh Day Slumber. This gentleman, the lead singer, it was almost a $1,500 a day cocaine addiction. And God brought him to him. I've heard those stories and those testimonies, and we've all heard the ones of little Sally who got saved at four years old in children's church. But they're all each other's stories. Your story is your story. And if someone is trying to force you to have their story, they're not leading you in the right direction. There's only one right way to come to know Christ and it's through the exact plan that God has planned for you. It's the way that he brings you, not the way someone else does. Testimonies and conversion experiences, they're not something like ESPN's going to rank the top 10 plays of the day or something. We're not going to have this list where, you know, you're going to get the number one, number, you know, best testimony award. Yay! No, there's none of that. Because we're all broken people. who've been made new by our Savior. There's no kind of special recognition for your conversion experience. You're, you don't get bonus points if your testimony makes someone cry more than someone else's. It's all about your encounter with Christ. And this, we just looked at this, Saul's conversion. Look at this. I mean, the man was blinded for three days. The past that he had lived, that's a reminder that God can save anyone if we commit to being his vessels and taking his word to others. You know, a good pilot does what it takes to get his passengers home. And a good example of this is the story of a flight when the attendant told everyone to take their seats because of impending turbulence. It was a rowdy flight, and folks were not quick to respond. So she warned them again. The flight is about to get bumpy. For your own safety, take your seats. Most did, but some didn't. So she changed her tone. Ladies and gentlemen, for your own good, take your seats. When it seemed like everyone had taken their seats, they heard the voice of the pilot. This is the captain. People have gotten hurt by going to the bathroom instead of staying in their seats. Let's be very clear about our responsibilities. My job is to get you through the storm. Your job is to do what I say. Now sit down and buckle up. Just then the bathroom door opened and a red-faced man with a sheepish grin exited and took his seat. You see, good pilots do what it takes to get their passengers home. God does the exact same thing. So here's a question for you. How far do you want God to go in getting your attention? If God has chosen between your eternal security and your earthly comfort, what do you hope he chooses? God does what it takes to get our attention. God will whisper. 
God will shout. God will touch and tug. He will take away our burdens. If you know certain stories from the Bible, he'll even take away our blessings. If there are a thousand steps between us and him, he will take all but one. He will leave the final one for us. The choice to listen is ours. God's goal is not to make you happy. I'm sorry if anyone has ever told you that. His goal is to make you his. His goal is not to get you what you want. It's to get you what you need. And if that means a jolt or two to get you in your seat, then let the jolting begin. May we all strive today to be more like Ananias, refusing to bend when we want to run and listening when God tells us to go. So the question I'll leave you with before we pray, this week as you go to your workplace, to your families, to your friends, people you encounter, your relationships, who can you be Ananias to? Who is God telling you? Who has God put in your path to tell about him? Father, we again thank you for this time today. Father, I pray that we would take that challenge of who we can be Ananias to. And that, Father, we would realize it might, it might be someone you've had in front of us for a year, for more than a year. Maybe it's someone you've had in our path for a week or two, a day or two. Father, I pray that we would uh, boldly take that opportunity, that we wouldn't fumble it, and that we would follow your leading. Father, we thank you for this reminder, and we thank you for the continuous reminder of Paul that no one is beyond your reach, Father. Father, we again thank you for this time, and we ask it all in your name. Amen.